Ladies and gentlemen, our next event of the evening is a one-fall match with a 60-minute time limit. What I'd like to have right now... With a big boys play. This is where the big boys play, huh? This is where the big boys play. This podcast is a member of the Place to Be Nation family. Visit us at placetobenation.com, your pop culture home. Well, hello, everyone. And we're back once again for Where the Big Boys Play. How are you doing, Chad? I'm doing great. How are you doing today, Parv? I'm good. How's your voice after all the pod- after all the other podcasts you've been doing, Chad? <laughs> it's been pretty rough, but uh, <laughs> luckily there wasn't a uh, University of Georgia football game yesterday. That's usually when I get pretty hoarse uh, yelling at the television. Um, so we're looking at Clash of the Champions 11 today uh, from June of 1990. Um <laughs> Just before we get into um, this, Chad, why don't you tell the people uh, what actual shows you've been on? Okay, I was uh, I was a, a late fill-in for uh, on PlaceToBeNation.com. I was a late fill-in on the Grapple Talk podcast. I was previewing the uh, UFC card that was actually last Saturday, um, which was one of the probably better UFC cards of the year, actually, uh, once it happened. It was a lot of good fights. And then uh, this past weekend, I was uh, me and Justin Rosero was actually on a baseball podcast discussing the uh, 1996 World Series, and that podcast is called the uh, Saturday Morning Spectacular. Uh, if you Google that, you can find it on uh, Facebook. They use Buzzsprout as a... Uh, is their uh, podcast portal. So I had a good time discussing that World Series, even though the Atlanta Braves lost. Um, no, now, last night I, uh, I did uh, another uh, Titans of Wrestling show, Chad, on which um, Johnny Sorrow claimed that he is both the most uh, the world's most in-demand podcaster, and he actually uh, referred to himself as a, as a legend in the world of podcasting. Uh, have you got any uh, responses to that? Because it seems to me that you may even be... If, if, in more demand than he is, Chad. Yeah, I'm not going to... I don't know if uh, a legend of podcasting is sort of faint <laughs> phrase, but uh, I, don't, I don't think I want that label on myself personally. Okay, interested. Humble. Humble Chad Campbell, right? <laughs> <laughs> That's my gimmick. Um, all right, well, uh, speaking of Hurricane Hugo here in the UK... Um, the entire country is on storm alert. There's going to be a massive storm later on today, apparently, and it's already looking pretty windy out there. So um, if I suddenly, uh, you know, if I suddenly go quiet, Chad, it's because um, I've been blown away. You're going to pull a Samick, huh? <laughs> yeah, pull a, pull a Brian Samick. <laughs> um, okay, so uh, before we get into uh, this week's uh, clash, yeah, thanks to... Uh, our last uh, guest there was it Pete, PF. Yep, yep. It was yeah, PF. I, I really enjoyed his contributions, and uh, uh, people have been saying, you know, we should get him on uh, before uh, Super Brawl uh, three. Was it that he said he's going to be on? Yeah. yeah so uh, yeah, yeah we're, we're looking to get him Pete on again because I, I thought he was good value. Sure. It's time for the Wrestling Observer Extra, Wrestling Observer Extra. with Dave Meltzer. 
All right, so uh, let's have a look at the, the, the Meltzers then. Um, just before going into, so this is between May uh, 1990 and June 1990. Um, uh, so this is May 21st, 1990, and we get uh, the news is that Ollie Anderson is confirmed as the new Booker. Okay, and his first move um, is to sign Stan Hansen, who apparently is going to be given a monster push and will be groomed for matches with Sting and Lex Luger down the line. Um, Meltzer said that Ole was a slight surprise because Bill Watts was considered the front-runner, but apparently Watts did not want to deal with Jim Hurd, uh, and he wanted to report directly to Jack Petrick. Uh, there was a shortlist of other bookers, including Dusty, Greg Garnier, Jerry Jarrett, and Lynn Denton. Lynn Denton, Chad? Any ideas? Uh, no, and... That's, uh, that's a name you don't hear very often. Yeah, I've, uh, I'm not familiar with him either. The others, of course, I am. Apparently, J- Jerry Jarrett did have a couple of meetings as well. But um, Ole was the one who got the job. Yeah, I don't like to see Jerry Jarrett. I mean, it's easy in retrospect, considering what's going to happen in the next, uh, I guess, two years with the company. But uh, but it, I'd have been very interested to see what Jerry Jarrett would have done at this point in time. Now, uh, th- th- this was an interesting bit of news after this. Uh, Comsat, um, who were a big company at that time, uh, were interested in purchasing the NWA from Ted Turner. Uh, this was first reported by Joe Pedersino's 900 number in Atlanta, but NWA officials have denied it. Um, and then, on the heels of this news, there are rumors that Vince McMahon and Titan Sports are also interested in buying the NWA. Um, and get this, Meltzer says, a purchase of the group would be Vince McMahon's final step in his ultimate goal of controlling professional wrestling in North America. <laughs> um, so a little bit of foreshadowing here <laughs> in 1990. <laughs> um, obviously, it didn't happen uh, at this point. Uh, he says Turner would never sell to Vince because it would admit defeat. Um, any thoughts on this uh, little story of Vince potentially buying a WCW in 1990 here? I mean that's an interesting uh, tidbit, but it's 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 kind of tough to see, you know, how you know, serious or how far negotiations they actually went. It it just seems to me that Joe Pedicino was just making stuff up to, uh, to get. I mean calls, that's possible to get calls on his nine hundred number. Yeah, that's definitely possible. <laughs> now there were rumors uh, abounding at this time that WCW had been making a loss of one million dollars per month since Turner bought it from the Crockett family. <laughs> However, accountants uh, from the organization say that it's a huge exaggeration and that it's been much more like five million dollars total, probably even less than that. Um, you're the accountant, Chad. Who do you believe? <laughs> <laughs> Well, I, I mean, without actually knowing the numbers, it's tough to say. But regardless, if you're a major company making a loss, period, that's not a not, not doing a great job either way. But what one million dollars per month would leave them? A, I mean, at least thirty million in the hole. It's been it's been quite a while since uh, since Turner bought the company now. Yes, yeah, so. that'd be uh, that'd have been. I mean, that was around what September eighty eight. We're yeah. in June ninety, so yeah, you're talking about twenty two months, so twenty two million versus five million. That's a pretty uh, wide discrepancy there. But Meltzer points out that they've been making money from TV. That they have actually been making money 
um, money from the TV, from pay-per-views, and from the 900 number, as we heard last time. But th these losses are mainly coming from the house shows, drawing less than uh, anticipated, and a really brutal schedule that is seeing them go all over the country. Um, so, yeah. Um, that, I mean, it's, it's Meltzer seems to think it's more towards the conservative estimate, that they are making some money, um, but their losses are outstripping what they're making, I guess. Well, um, and that, that well, the house show thing, real quick too. That kind of may play into what they end up doing um, fairly quickly, and that's really building up their Omni shows, which I know in watching the like late ninety ninety one footage is very odd because instead of kind of pushing the pay per views, they're pushing an Omni house show. But right. uh, if if that was their biggest money loss, I can see where they would try to maybe pump up the house shows a little more. Yeah, and then that, that may even anticipate something Meltzer is about to say here. Uh, f first of all, he says that the end of another problem uh, that Turner are facing is that the NWA name itself is not owned by Turner, but by the NWA board. He said um, there's a risk of all of the other NWA promoters taking action against Turner for the use of the NWA name, which won't, may be one of the reasons why they're shifting towards saying WCW a lot more at this time. Yeah, this was, uh, well, in the show we're doing today, there's very little to, I, I can't even recall hardly any mention of the NWA, like all the signage and stuff like that, say WCW. Do, do they even uh, call Flair the NWA world champ? I think it's just world champion on the show, isn't it? Right, right. Um, and then we get one of Meltzer's great, uh, He, as I've said many times, I think he's really good at doing this stuff. He gives us a real breakdown now on the challenges that Ole is facing, um, coming in as the new booker here. And I'm not going to go through all this in detail, but there are four main points uh, that he brings up, Chad, and I thought I'd, uh, <laughs> it's interesting to take a look at these, given that he was writing in 1990 now. <laughs> he says, problem number one, there's too much TV and there's no overexposure of talent. <laughs> <laughs> I, I find that really, uh, really funny reading that. Uh, you know, today, considering um, that's the number one problem that anybody would point to with t wrestling TV today, right? <laughs> yeah, I guess uh, at this point in time, they would have, uh, what, probably three hours of nationally TV. Well, they've, they've got Power Hour, they've yep. got uh, Worldwide, Saturday night. Saturday night. And then Pro? Do they still Pro, have? yeah. So they've got four shows. But I, all in all, I think it's about five hours, six hours max. Okay. Uh, which I is, mean, that, that, that is a lot. It's quite a lot of TV, isn't it? Yeah. It's about I the same. even, uh, yeah, I mean, WWE currently right now, if you include the, uh, the um, Superstar show, which is kind of uh, online only, you're talking about four or five. I, that that put them at about six hours of TV because I don't include NXT, which is all developmental. So uh, just on the main roster, you're talking about six hours of TV, and then some shows, you know, like uh, like the uh, the superstar show. None of your top level talent will show up on that main event. There'll be probably one marquee match, but then a lot of undercard talent. So just between Raw and SmackDown. Uh, is the main two. How many uh, jobber matches were they running at this time on uh, 
on TV. They, they were still having jobber matches. Oh, yeah, yeah. Yeah, I mean, they still had jobber matches um, in 1990 a good bit with WCW TV, but you were seeing a lot of kind of featured matches and longer matches on the TV, which was a welcome change if you watched Superstars at the time. Melter's main point on this is um, is actually not so much about stars being overexposed. He says that basically there are, um, what does he say, um, there's too much taping each week. Um, and even with, so that's incredibly long TV taping, which puts a strain on the guys, obviously. Um, but he says the main problem is that um, the TV is overshadowing the house shows. But it's a catch-22 because you, you need the TV, right, um, for the promotion, but you can't, so, like, they're stuck. They can't really cut back the TV, but the TV is killing the live shows. Um, do, you, do you agree with that idea? I guess it does. Mm, I, don't, I don't think so. I think as long, I think if your product's hot enough, uh, no matter what's on TV, I, I mean, of course, if you had tons and tons of TV, it would dilute it, but I, I think what they were doing and the amount of time their big stars were on TV, I don't think it would have had much bearing on the house show attendance as long as they were uh, providing a product and overall matches that people wanted to see. Right. Well, he, he says it may, it may make the live events appear to be insignificant. Um, okay, so the next, <laughs> the next one, uh, the next problem that Ole faces, uh, according to Meltzer, is that they've got too many house shows. Um, he said the idea behind this is that since the wrestlers are paid on a weekly salary rather than paid on a specific amount per show, um, that if a guy works three or seven shows in a week, the company only has to pay him the same. Therefore, it appears that running the extra shows is done with little additional talent cost. So they're running lots of shows because of this. Um, right. Do you think it's possible to run too many house shows? Uh, yeah, I mean, they were running a lot of house shows. I would, uh, I mean, I, I prefer, I guess, probably a swing where if you're filming your TV, which their TV schedule was so much different then than now, but I, I kind of like a, a schedule of four on, three off for the workers, like in a current day setting yeah. where, you know, maybe Thursday through Sunday you're working or Friday through Monday but then you're off the other days. Why don't they just take the house shows every time? Double up. <laughs> yeah, I mean, they could have done that for sure. Because like, um, they, they that's how they sell Raw, isn't it? Yeah, next time Raw is coming to your town, and you go and pay and you see Raw. Um, yeah, yeah. I mean, when uh, last time WWE actually came to Atlanta, they did just a straight Friday night house show uh, in Phillips Arena, which was really shocking that they did that because that was the first time uh since i can remember really that they didn't do either a raw or smackdown taping right okay um so that's uh the first two points then the next point um and this uh, comes into your, your omni um uh the omni thing that you mentioned before chad weak lo localized hype on television um, the, the syndicated shows have to be geared to selling house shows if you are in the house show business. House shows can't be sold on cable because a national show can't be specific enough to sell a local show. The cable shows should focus on pay-per-views instead. 
So he's saying basically that on the local TV that they're not um, they're not selling the house shows enough. Any thoughts? Yeah. Well, I don't. I mean, what was the local TV like? I don't. I guess I don't understand what well, that would be. Well, anybody who had uh, who had worldwide on syndication. So I I guess you want to cut localized promos, say for example in the Georgia area for the Omni show, and then yeah uh, I don't know if if they're running TV elsewhere if on another uh, you know if worldwide showing up in I don't know Philadelphia or something they plug the local Philly show or whatever. I guess would be the idea. Yeah, I mean that's that's a good point, but I don't. I, <laughs> I, I mean a thirty-second promo. I don't. I mean it's so tough. I mean the, analyzing this is so tough because it's such a different world. Like I'll be the first to admit that. Mm. But to me, like I mean, a little thirty-second snapshot promo is not going to be the decider of whether I'm going or not. I mean it's nice sentiment. And it does sound ridiculous when later on on WCW Saturday night they're talking about the Omni show, you know, if you lived in California. Yeah. But uh, but I, I don't know how effective that would be. I don't think you're certainly going to draw a thousand more fans or whatever doing that. And the final problem is injuries, which we've seen. Uh, and he said that all of these run into each other. Too many house shows equals more injuries. Um. He says, while the WWF wrestlers have, have as much pressure to maintain the look and travel dressed as hard, the pressure in the ring isn't there. And it's in the ring where the majority of injuries take place. So it's not just, um, it's not just the number of shows they're doing. It's the fact that in the NWA or in WCW, you're expected to work as well. Whereas in- so who was, who was out at this time, though, besides Sting? Uh, well, uh, Luger was kind of had another injury. Uh, but he, well, as we saw, he came back pretty soon. Um, and well, I ran through all of those injuries a couple of weeks ago, didn't I? Um, I think a lot of those guys were coming back, but I guess if you're Meltzer, you're, you're looking at, you know, they've had a lot of injuries over the past year, haven't they? Like a lot of guys, like Arn was injured for a while, wasn't he? Uh, Sid had a big injury. Um, they're all coming, but I think they, most of these guys come back on. Yeah, they seem to be, uh, by this show, they're pretty much back at full strength. Um, two other little bits of news here. Um, Meltzer reported last time, if you recall, that um, Flair had signed a two-year deal extension on his contract. Um, but apparently somebody's not signed that. He doesn't know which side hasn't signed it, but it hasn't been signed. Um, and the other thing... And it sounds uh, terrible saying this now, but woman is history. Um, she's, uh, yeah, she's, it, no details on why, but there's no more woman on uh, on TV. Mm-hmm. And she, uh, yeah, she'd be gone for quite a while, it seems like. And she was all right, wasn't she? Don't, don't you think? I mean, <laughs> she was um okay yes she's she, okay she, i wouldn't go out of the way to say that she's brilliant or anything but you know she did a job yeah i mean i certainly wasn't the worst performer in wcw at the round this time so she had that going for her. june the 4th um and he says that with ole anderson as a booker the good news is that the tv is a lot more focused but the bad news is what it's focused on <laughs> more on that in a second um now, there's a long thing here because Ole Anderson uh, had a uh, policy 
of signing old guys at this point. Um, so for another guy he brings in is Paul Orndorff. Now, Orndorff was actually brought in as a replacement for Kerry Von Erich after uh, he no-showed a taping. And uh, Meltzer says that at 40 years old, he's no spring chicken, but um, the tall and short of it is that Orndorff can still do a job. Um, we can talk more about Orndorff in a second, but he Meltzer goes off on one here, and he says that age is kind of relative in wrestling. Guys can still go, Some guys can still go at 40, other guys are done by the time they're 40. Uh, any thoughts on this about, about the age point? He, there's a whole uh, um, there's a whole list of guys that Ole has signed at this point. Do you want, do you want to hear them before you uh, have a go at talking? <laughs> yeah, go ahead. Well, it's Stan Hansen's 41, but Meltzer says he knows what uh, to do to get over. He's brought he was 41 at that time. Yep, 41 years old. Mister Wrestling oh. Two. <laughs> Mister Wrestling Two is being brought in. Chad, um, but uh, only as a special guest ref at this Omni show. Yeah, I was going to say, now I hadn't seen any Mr. Wrestling 2 on TV or anything like that. So Now, now this one made me rise my eyebrows a little bit. They're bringing the Iron Sheet back in. What the hell? Well, main, main, main's event SummerSlam almost a <laughs> year after this. So. Um, but yeah, I mean, at this point, um, Buddy Landell is another person they're thinking of bringing back. Uh, Meltzer's take is with Landell, well, what can they lose with him at this stage? If it works, it works, great. If it doesn't, so what type thing. Yeah, I have no problem with Buddy Landell coming in. And then Bob Orton hasn't officially signed yet, but surely this guy's a bit old to be bringing in at this point. Mm-hmm. And finally, Junkyard Dog. Um, and there's much more to say about him, but about the age thing, do you think uh, the 40s, still pretty young as a wrestler in my mind it's not that old oh i mean i think you can be effective when you're 40 but it's uh it, it depends on the guy i don't i don't know it seems like a lot of melts around this time he's sort of making these sort of straw man arguments i don't know i mean i haven't read the articles but uh, i mean there's <laughs> A million 40-year-olds that were terrible wrestlers. There's a lot of 40-year-olds that were great wrestlers. So well, it, I mean, Flair was 40 in 1990, right? Yeah, I mean, I think in 1989, Flair was... Uh, yeah, I think he turned 40 right in 1990. So, uh, you know, I mean, that there, certainly if Stanson was over 40 then, he was... Great. I mean, he's one of the best wrestlers in the world. He has one of the best years of all time in 1993. So, how old is Hunter these days? Like him now in 2013? Uh, he's over 40, but he he's right? he's not active. I mean, he's not what I'd call an active wrestler at all. No, no. But. Yeah, and well, I saw that uh, Brock Lesnar match. He wasn't active at all. Yeah, I mean, <laughs> I mean, there's not. He's had two matches this year. There's not a. Uh, I mean, there's honestly not a ton of wrestlers currently in WWE. That's another thing that's kind of different. Where you, I mean, you don't see a lot of guys that are over forty uh, now that work regularly. Do you, um, well, we, we'll talk more. Uh, there's a bit more stuff on Ollie in a second. Um, but Meltzer goes off on a big rant now uh, because he did not like the way that um, they brought. Jay- First of all, he objects to bringing junk food junk food dog in 
Um, he he calls uh, Dog the single worst wrestler getting a push today. Um, which I mean, I can't really argue with him. Right, right. right. Um, but he says that he simply can't believe they uh, built um, a black versus white angle in 1990. He said um, it's rare that something on TV makes him uh, ashamed to call himself a wrestling fan, but this stuff did uh, with Rocky King. Um, he says that uh, while all of this stuff with Rocky King was executed excellently, he reckoned that Flair and Ollie both had good promos, um, that it's basically a disgrace to push this kind of angle today. He, he calls it an angle from the late 60s and brands it low class. Um, and it's an ins- he says it's an, an insult to all fans who think. Now, have you seen this stuff, Chad? Is it on the uh, 90 yearbook? Yeah, there's, there's a lot on this. And uh, it, it actually sounds kind of interesting that he's still giving, I guess, a little bit of flair and Oli a, a little pass by saying the promos are good. I mean, the promos are not good. That's, that's all you can say about it. They're not good promos. And I don't know if Meltzer was watching it at the time, but USWA, I mean, what the, the angle's bad in any, uh, you know, stretch of the imagination, but it's, it's even worse in context because at the same time the USWA was starting up and running the uh, snowman mm. versus Jerry Lawler angle, which, I mean, it deals with race relations, but it actually does it in a uh, kind of... Uh, you know, very progressive, interesting, uh, in-depth for wrestling way. And to kind of compare that to the, uh, you know, the more very high, low-brow racist overtones that were going on in WCW, make WCW just look awful around this time. I mean, for anyone who hasn't seen this, uh, and that includes me at this point, what, what do they actually do with Rocky King? What, what happened? I mean, there's just a lot of kind of, uh, I mean, there's just a lot of stuff like calling him boy and, you know, just a little bit of, uh, everything sort of has a racist undertone to it, um, of the, uh, kind of white supremacy type ultimate, uh, I, I guess tone to it. How how did they bring King in? Because I mean, King even like in the mid eighties was essentially a jobber in my mind. Yeah, he kind of just shows up hanging out. Um, has a match I think with Arn Anderson. I'm not positive. I'm pretty sure it's with Arn Anderson. But then he just sort of becomes like the buddy for the dudes with attitude. Right. Okay. Um, and the dudes with attitude were. Uh, that was Orndorff. JYD, Sting, and then, uh, I guess, El Gigante. Two <laughs> <laughs> to that, I do, right. Um, yeah, and then Meltzer, Meltzer basically goes on a long diatribe about uh, this and about JYD's cr- tr- career trajectory as a draw. Um, and he's, like, basically lamenting the fact that uh, JYD is being even used in a prominent role in 1990. The only other news I've got from this uh, particular... Uh, edition is that uh, El Giante, um his trainer was the Cuban assassin. Do you know that? I did not know that. No. <laughs> and uh, well, apparently his debut match is going to be about is going to be against the Cuban assassin. So Mel has got a lot of stuff about how uh, he can't be rushed. He needs to learn uh, learn, learn to learn his trade. Otherwise, he's going to yeah. look awful. <laughs> wow. <laughs> All right. So uh, June the eighteenth. 
leftist Jack Manson has quit after Ole Anderson was going to job him out. Any great loss at this point? Um, I mean, I think they could have done something with him, but I mean, the the snippets we've seen of Jack so far, I think it's you know he had he had weak offense. His promos, if you watch the promos on the yearbook, it's kind of scary how bad he was at promos. I mean, you expect you know yeah. Cactus Jack to be this kind of great cerebral promo, but he looked you know scared and was had still hadn't a little bit of a Long Island accent that would sneak through. Uh, so, I, I mean, he certainly could have been mid-card fodder, but I don't think this is the type of situation where you can say, oh, uh, you know, a, a surefire future main eventer they let go away at this point. I, I've seen those promos, or, or some of them, and uh, he looks like a rabbit in the headlights to me. Yeah, yeah. Um, now, the, the, this is uh, where we see Ole really start to throw his weight around now. Uh, Brian Pillman and Tom Zenk are both going to be phased down. <laughs> I've just written, what? Why would you phase Pillman down? Yeah, as we'll get into the class show, I think there could have been um, an, an area or a, a matchup they could have done that would have been a lot more effective to the overall theme involving Pillman. But, yeah, there was no need to phase down Pillman at this point. So, I mean, Ollie's like, bringing back a pile of old guys and phasing down, like, Zank and Pillman are the youth, they're the future, right? And Yeah. He's yeah, phasing I them mean, down. I mean, on one hand, with Zink, it's like, okay, great. I guess Ollie <laughs> realized how much he sucks, but the fact that he also is phasing down Pillman is uh, unfortunate. Yeah, well, I mean, I've been looking at um, Georgia cards from the late 70s, Chad, and uh, all of these guys, <laughs> Hanson, Orndorff, like these these are all guys who were working Georgia in the late 70s when Ollie right. was booking there. So it's clearly that he's just Bob Orton, you know, he's just bringing all his mates back. <laughs> mm-hmm. um, uh, Mr. Wrestling 2, Thunderbolt Patterson as well. Uh, uh, yeah, he's bringing Thunderbolt Patterson in to do a bit with Wrestling 2 on the Omni show. Um, do you reckon guys in Georgia would have cared in 1990 about Patterson? No, no. Yeah, I mean, I mean, for them on the Omni show, like just as sort of a special attraction legends type deal, I have no problem with that at all. Yeah. Um, uh, more Ole business now. He, uh, he yanked Jim Cornette and Paulie Dangerously as well as Terry Long off commentary. Because he felt that it hurt their heel image to be cheered. Um, I guess he, I guess he's talking about the moment when the the announcers have to come out, right? If you ever go to a live show, before like the actual taping starts, the announcers are come out, right? Is that what he's talking about here? I couldn't really. I, yeah, I don't. I don't know. I mean, I, I have no idea what, how they do it back then. I mean, I. I mean, now, of course, they do come out to their own theme music or whatever, but uh, but back then, I would kind of assume they would just sort of come out and then the show would start, but I'm not positive. Ole actually put himself on color for a few shows as well, but apparently, according uh, to Meltzer, is a disaster, so he took himself off air as well. So, uh, there we are. And the only other bit of news I've got is that Eddie Gilbert and uh, Missy Hyatt are officially in the process of getting divorced. Right. And they're uh, now have I don't know if we've talked about it with Meltzer, but has he discussed that Gilbert at this point is he still in WCW or had he done? Uh, 
Um, this this is right around the time where he uh, leaves. I haven't seen it. That was covered in the end um, in his NWA news, um, and okay. I haven't. It didn't. I, I haven't seen a note saying that Gilbert's left yet, unless I've missed okay. it. So yeah, it'll probably it'll probably come up uh, looking at the Great American Bash stuff. So right, and I I, uh, I did send you those uh, torches, Chad. Was there anything in the in the torch? Uh, not a lot. I mean, they they talked a little bit about the Road Warriors that uh, they'd officially left and uh, joined the uh, WWF, which we discussed on the uh, Capital Combat show. And right. then uh, he also had um, some things to say about the JYD angle and was basically just echoing Meltzer's thoughts that he thought it was done in poor taste and uh, everything had some uh, racist, you know, kind of undertones to them. One thing about the torch that's interesting around this time is it's only six pages, has a uh, even like a comic strip, and then just a couple of news bits. Uh, I did look at Keller's um, Capital Combat rankings. Mm. He's very tough. Like he <laughs> right. gave the Midnight Express match two stars. Um and he gave, uh, I think he only gave the Steiners versus Doom match two and three quarters, and that was the top match of the uh, night. So he didn't even have one, you know, one match above three stars on that show, which I have three above three stars. <laughs> I actually have three matches uh, above three and a half stars on that match. So I, I kind of see myself as a pretty tough grader in retrospect, especially, I think, compared to Meltzer now. I think Meltzer's gotten a lot more lenient over the years, but yeah. Uh, but yeah, he was uh, Keller at least back then looked like he was extremely tough grader. Right, and uh, in fact, it may be interesting for us to um, have a look at the uh, the, the ratings because we're missing Meltzer's ratings for Clash uh, Eleven. So uh, mm-hmm. we 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 may take. Uh, well, we've got a few different guys lined up, but we can take Keller's into account. I've got them here. Okay. All right. Um, so, uh, yeah, I mean, it, it's, a, it's a little bit difficult with the torches because they're a little bit behind, aren't they? Um, they're kind of a couple of weeks off the pace a lot of the time. Yeah, well, they were running every other week um, at this point, but Keller, in one of the issues I looked for this show, was talking about... Um, go into a weekly format so i'm not or trying it out so i'm not positive if this is when he actually started going weekly or not but i mean i'm i'm thinking he was still in college around this time right and i uh i promise that gordon sully will be back next time <laughs> I, I i do i do he will be back okay but it's just uh We've, I, I've had a busy schedule this week, so I haven't had, I haven't had time. <laughs> no time for Gordon. Yeah, but I will. I will make time for Gordon. I, I swear it. <laughs> the last time World Championship Wrestling was scheduled here, we were blown away by Hurricane Hugo. Well, we're back, and so is South Carolina, and most of all, the beautiful city of Charleston. And now, live from the campus of the Citadel in Charleston, South Carolina, it's the Clash of Champions 11. The Coastal Crush. Clash of Champions 11, Coastal Crush, is brought to you by Orion Pictures Robocop 2. 
opens Friday, June 22nd at theaters near you. All right, well, let's get into the, the actual review then. Um, uh, this is uh, Clash of the Champions 11, Coastal Crush. Um, and uh, it's partly called this because uh, last time they were in this area, Hurricane Hugo made them postpone. Um, and they're there in the McAllister Fieldhouse in uh, Charleston, South Carolina. Is that right? So, yeah. Yeah, Charleston, South Carolina, uh, Dylan's hometown. Right. Well, I wonder if Dylan was in attendance in this show. I think he was living in uh, Chattanooga, that area around this time. Should be. So, um, Tony Schiavone is uh, our kind of host here. And he, he asked a series of questions. Can JYD become the first black world champion? Can the Steiners regain the titles over Doom? Can the Rock and Rolls uh, Express become the US champions and set history? <laughs> no, no, no. <laughs> uh, <laughs> right? <laughs> but um, Jim Ross and Bob Coddler are on commentary here. And uh, they, they show the fact that Lex Luger will be taking calls before... Um, uh, 8.25 Eastern Time on the hotline. And uh, would you have been phoning that? Uh, two, no. $2, $2 a minute. <laughs> $2 a minute and then 45 cents, which is a really arbitrary uh, number for each additional minute. So uh, pretty, pretty pricey, I'm sure. I'd love to know what Lex Lucas said on those calls. Like, <laughs> what could he have possibly been saying? Well, like I said, the only time I ever called one of those was the Hulk Hogan hotline, and it was just kind of a a, a, a pre-recorded superstars type generic message. So not not a lot of critical info. That's really disappointing. Yeah, my mom my mom said never again. She was listening on the phone with me, and that was the end of that. Good, good. Well done, Mrs. Campbell. Yeah. <laughs> All right, so um. First matchup, it's the Wild-Eyed Southern Boys, Tracy Smothers and Steve Armstrong, taking on the fabulous Freebirds. Uh, this is our first look at the Southern Boys, Chad. Um, now, I've got it in my mind that you're high on these guys, are you? Well, I, I really like Tracy Smothers. Um, I mean, he still works indies today. Um, and he is uh, a kind of a, a guy that has a really interesting career. Actually, in fact, while I'm recording... This I'm watching him uh, in an ECW match from 1997 as part of the Full-Blooded Italians. So he went from being a member of the Southern Boys to the Full-Blooded Italians. But uh, but yeah, he had kind of a, 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 I would say like a drifters type career where he was, you know, here in the NWA. He was uh, dominant in Smoky Mountain Wrestling then went to ECW and then did some uh, really cool indie stuff, including in IWA Mid South. But uh, but yeah, I'm I'm a really big fan of him overall throughout but his career. He's a journeyman, basically, though, right? That's yeah, a kind of yeah. journeyman career, right? Yeah. Um, well, the, uh, right now in 1990, they evoked the Civil War in a little insert promo. Um, I thought it was pretty interesting they were being booked as faces here. Um, because these guys would definitely be heels up in New York, right? <laughs> um, I, you would think that, but as we'll see in our next show up in uh, Baltimore, Maryland, I mean, there's still faces there and get a good reaction. Right, but they're being booked by a Southern... I mean, it's just the fact that they are coming out with the uh, 
What, what do you call that? The Rebel Alliance? The Stars and Bars. The Stars yeah. and Bars, right. Um, and we get a bit of uh, singing from my Michael Hayes um, as well. Uh, and at this point, the Freebirds are claiming that they're the greatest rock and roll band in the world. Um, <laughs> dream on, Michael. <laughs> <laughs> so Who would that actually be in 1990? Would that be Metallica, maybe? I guess. What the greatest rock the band greatest in the world? Rock and roll, yeah. Um. Well, it depends how you look on it, but well, you too, probably. Right. Queen were still around. Oh come on, they're. <laughs> they, they were probably done, they're, but yeah, they're, they're even more dated than the Freebirds in 1990. <laughs> well, yeah, maybe maybe you too. I I, I don't know. I yeah. Um. Not, should, certainly not the Freebirds. What, what, what Guns and Roses about in 1990? Yeah. Yeah, that's kind of. At the tail end, but yeah. Um, right. Well, what do you uh, what do you make of this match? Well, get get comfortable with this matchup because it's actually the opener of the next three clashes. <laughs> um, but but I thought this was actually pretty good. I mean, it's not it's not very long at all, but for an energetic, uh, probably went what about six minutes. For a six-minute tag, energetic, I, th- I thought it was uh, a very good match. The Southern Boys showed a lot of fire. Had, you know, your generic kind of uh, shine sequence and Michael Hayes strutting around. But uh, he, again, I thought looked pretty good. I'm kind of surprised at how good he's looked in the, the last two matches we've seen him in after that uh Wrestle War 25-minute marathon performance. Mm. And and Garvin, I thought this may have been the best he's looked. And he didn't do a whole lot, but that was probably for the best. And the match was kind of really too short for him to really go into most of his uh, stalling and crap routine of the chin locks <laughs> and all that. Uh, and the finish was really cool where Steve Armstrong gets a, a, a huge... I I think it was, was it Garvin that had Smothers pin? Yeah. And, uh, and Steve Armstrong comes off the top with a huge, uh, a absolute huge headbutt right to the uh, small of the back of Garvin and then puts uh, Smothers over him to get the pinfall and the crowd goes nuts. So I really like the finish a lot. Yeah, well, I mean, the Freebirds definitely seem to be on tonight, in my mind. Um, decent work by Hayes. I thought we imagined that we never really got a face in peril sequence. Um, it, would, it kind of was one of those things where the the freebirds were struggling to get any control. Um, but uh, yeah, it, it wasn't any like after the initial shine. It wasn't like it followed the classic southern uh, tag structure. Ironically, given who was involved. Um, my main uh, note here is wow, they put the. Uh, uh, Southern boys over the freebird clean. That's quite a push for those two. Yeah, they got a, a, a good little push around this time. And I mean, I, I I never thought I'd say this, but as you, I mean, the next clash match is the longest between these two teams, and it goes, I think, uh, about nine minutes. And they had a lot of matches on TV, but this actually kind of had me clamoring and hoping they had. You know, not a 20-minute tag match, but maybe like a 12, 13-minute tag match with a decent face and peril sequence. Yeah, did, did, um, JR did uh, do quite a good job of putting over Armstrong's heritage. Kept on men- mentioning Bob and Brad uh, right. on commentary. Um, 
do you want to see where uh, our various critics have gone with this? Matt Pedicord, two and a half. Right. Scott Keith, two. Wade Keller, two and a quarter. We don't we don't yeah, have that's... Meltzer for some reason. <laughs> <laughs> well, well, we should say Meltzer. I don't know if he was in Japan at this time or coming back well, from Japan, but I, I, I'll just explain. Um, the eighteenth of June uh, uh, Observer is massive. It's about twenty pages long, and a lot of it is um, Jap- Japan house shows and things, which suggests to me that Meltzer was in Japan at this point. Well, I know he was, I mean, June 8, 1990 is when uh, Masawa pins Jumbo. Right. And, I mean, he was at that match live. He talks about it as one of the best live experiences he's ever had where people were crying and all this. But, uh, so, I, uh, yeah, he was over in Japan at this point. So, yeah, just because we don't, um, I don't know whether it's because we just don't have it um because there's one observer which is kind of ripped in half and we don't have the first half of it um or because he was he just didn't do it because he was in japan but for whatever reason we don't have the ratings for clash 11 from Meltzer. so um yeah those were the three uh critics round two two and a half uh i think that's fair yeah i'd probably go about two and a half i uh i don't think it was long i mean it wasn't uh long enough to be much more than that but for a uh for a little kind of seven-minute opener to get the crowd hot, I thought this did a really good job. Right, yeah. And then the next match, I thought this would really look really interesting on paper, this match. Tommy Rich yeah. taking on Bam Bam Bigelow. And the the big kahuna's got a big mohawk at this point. Um, <laughs> on commentary, um, two interesting things. JR mentions that Bam Bam Bigelow used to be a bounty hunter. <laughs> Which, uh, is that true? Surely not. <laughs> Uh, he might have been. I'm not positive. I mean, he looks <laughs> like he would be. The bounty hunters collect, like, they can go and kill people, right? Collect bounty. <laughs> um. Yeah, Yeah. I mean, it's kind of a, yeah, they're pretty uh, rough, usually roughneck individuals. And then the other thing is that on commentary, uh, Bob Coddle picked Tommy Richards as winner for this and then backs him during the whole match, almost like he's made a bet. It's almost like he's put money on Rich to win this. And I thought that was really, um, really fun on Coddle's part. You don't see that very often. Um, at one point, uh, uh, he said, uh, you know, Tommy's making me look good here. <laughs> um, which, uh, which uh, you know, I thought was quite entertaining. Um, yeah, more, more agile than William Refrigerator Perry. Bam Bam Bigelow. So <laughs> what did you make of this little curiosity? This was, uh, I I wasn't really interested to watch this match, too, when I saw the introductions, and I thought it was going along, uh, you know, fairly well, where Tommy was able to show his fire, and then uh, Bigelow was able to kind of stun him for the first few minutes and stomp around. Bigelow looked okay, but then, I mean, as soon as he took over, he started putting Tommy... In a uh, in a chokehold and wouldn't break it and ended up getting himself DQ'd, which I mean kind of looked like you know he was a vicious savage beast, but I mean the uh, beast, but the uh, the match just you know sort of ended. It was very abrupt. We probably only got I think it's like four minutes of yeah. action, so that was that was kind of disappointing. But uh, 
as an overall, I guess, storyline developer and making Bigelow look like this kind of monster that doesn't know his limitations, I didn't think it was awful, I guess. Yeah, I wondered if they could have given Bam Bam a pin here. Throw him over, don't you think? I mean, they could. I mean, I think they could have, and I don't necessarily think they did this finish to protect Rich. I think it was uh, more to show how kind of out of control Bam Bam could be. Yeah, they 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 booked the Undertaker like this when he first came in. I seem to recall, like yeah. he, a lot of chokes and DQ finishes, like um, to get over how dangerous he was. Yeah, um, I mean, this is kind of a gimmick they use for a lot of. You know, your your Kamalas and stuff like that. But uh, Tommy Rich got the win, so Coddle probably got his money. <laughs> uh, so, uh, Scott Keith, prediction on the rating for this? Dud. I'm guessing probably like a half star. Dud. Uh, yeah, yeah. Um, Petty Cord, quarter of a star. Yeah. Keller, half a star. Yeah, I mean, this is... Again, it's four minutes, but for the uh, four minutes we saw, I don't think it was that bad. And it's kind of interesting what happens to Bigelow here, because I think this may, yeah, this is it for him. Yeah, another abortive run. Yeah, so we, uh, and, and, and this is what's probably one of the more interesting guys we'll deal with with these super shows because we won't see Bam Bam again for uh, over eight years. <laughs> So, right, so he's so, like, he's just going to come back in right in the mess of the Monday Night Wars, like yeah, buried yeah. in the so, guard or something, probably. So <laughs> we'll see you in uh, probably 2015, at the earliest, bam, bam. Right. Um, something really interesting now, a big hype video for Big Van Vader. They show footage yeah. of him from Japan coming to the ring with hard rock playing in the background. I thought it was really interesting that they did that. Yeah, they did a couple of these videos with Vader. Um, they'll, they'll do another one before the uh, Wrestle War '91 match uh, he has with Hanson. But I, uh, I really like these type of videos. It makes Vader look like you know a successful star in another country and have a lot of mystique to him. Mm. So I think uh, it's very neat how they do this. Yeah, and they, they must have had the agreement with uh, was it was in New Japan at this point? Yeah, yeah, yeah. it was in New Japan. Yes, wrestling fans, Big Van Vader to debut at the Great American Bash in Baltimore, Saturday, July 7th, along with the man I'm about to introduce. He is the largest athlete in the world today. He stands seven foot, seven inches. He weighs 435 pounds. Ted Turner has just signed this man to compete in World Championship Wrestling. Some vital statistics, he has a 72-inch chest, a 48-inch waist. His shoe size is 21. And at the Great American Bash in Baltimore on Saturday, July 7th, he will be teaming with Mr. Wonderful, Paul Orndorff, and the Junkyard Dog. In a six-man tag team event, they will be meeting the Horsemen. He is El Gigante. Now, ladies and gentlemen, El Gigante's English is limited. Therefore, I will attempt to conduct this interview in Spanish. El Gigante, bienvenido a los Estados Unidos. 
Muchas gracias, estoy muy agradecido con todo el público, a todos los Estados Unidos. El gigante dice que está overwhelmed por la recepción que ha recibido hasta ahora en los Estados Unidos. Ahora, el gigante, usted va a tener muchas batallas en muchas partes de los Estados Unidos, ¿sí? Hay planes para estar en todo Estados Unidos y lo más importante ahora es que en julio 7, 7 de julio en Baltimore, Maryland, ahí estaré, tengo un gran desafío. El gigante has indicated to me that he has signed to wrestle in many of the major arenas across the country. But what is on his mind right now is that date, Saturday, July 7th, at the Great American Bash in Baltimore. All right, now, and now, uh, in one of the more interesting segments that we've ever seen, Chad, oh, okay. <laughs> Gary Michael Capera introduces El Gigante. First of all, what's he wearing? <laughs> it's like some terrible Roman centurion. I don't know how you did, like, it just looks terrible, all right? Yeah, it's like a hybrid... Uh... If you've ever seen, like, I don't, I don't even know what it. I mean, he's a former Atlanta Hawks player, and it, I, I, I don't know. I don't, I don't even think you can describe. But it kind of looks like if he did a dress representation of what the Omni Arena looks like, because his shoulder pads, the way it is, that's kind of like how the the roof of the Omni has sort of panels <laughs> and stuff like that. Are you saying that he was dressed as the Omni? He was dressed as the Omni. <laughs> Um, my note is that he looks like he could be a villain from Power Rangers. Yeah, absolutely. <laughs> <laughs> um, he played for the Atlanta Hawks. Was he any yes. good? No. <laughs> <laughs> All right. Uh, what's that? Bas- basketball, right? Yeah, yeah. Yeah. Okay. Uh, now, comp- in one of the more interesting things I've ever seen, Guy Michael Capetta now conducts an interview with him in Spanish. And then he translates it. <laughs> right. Now, I knew I knew uh, Capetta um, was fluent in Spanish based on his uh, interview he did on Place to Be. He's a, he's a Spanish teacher, right? As a, right, right. Yeah. Like, if English is your second language, he'll... Uh, or, no, actually, if you want to learn Spanish, right? He, yeah. He, uh, yeah, he helps you learn Spanish if you're English, but... Uh, but yeah, so I knew I knew that from that interview he did with Scott and Justin. But uh, but yeah, this was interesting and the first time I could recall it being utilized in wrestling. Right. Well, the first time I've ever seen Capetta do an interview. Right. True. Um, my note here is that El Giante lacks charisma even in translation. <laughs> <laughs> but yeah, what a weird segment. Um, Definitely, uh, you know, I'm <laughs> one of the weirder things we've seen. Um, moving on then, uh, Samoan SWAT team, this time, of course, the Samoan Savage and Fatu taking on Captain Mike Watunda, who tonight is wearing just a baseball cap, disappointingly. Uh, he wasn't wearing his proper captain gear, Chad. No, he had on his little jacket. Yeah, yeah a, a jacket and a baseball cap. <laughs> Well, that's about as good as it get for him. I mean, I don't. He didn't. He didn't. He didn't never have much more than that. No, he was at some points he had the little like sailor hat. Oh, was he not? Yeah, that's right. He, no, was, he was just wearing, wearing like a regular cap. baseball cap. Yeah, he was like that guy right. out of uh, that guy out of Jaws, you know. <laughs> I guess he was yeah. a captain of that type. Um, 
And uh, he's tagging with the Z-Man in a PWO All-Stars Dream Team here for Tunder and Zenk. <laughs> <laughs> uh, what did you think of this? Um, I mean, this this match, to me, was really not probably as bad as I thought it'd be. It was very short again. But I, I'd like to have seen, I think, a couple of minutes added. Uh, this match dropped, and a couple minutes added to the opener. <laughs> And then a couple of minutes added to the uh, other matches coming up. And I think we'd have had a lot better overall show. Um, I, again, I mean, even in the five minutes, we still had a nerve hold. <laughs> so, Right. And I'm uh, not going to get that. Jim Ross had some interesting uh, comments during this. There was a nerve hold. And he said, um, Jim Ross, direct quote, on the trapezius muscle. My dad used to do that to me to get my attention. Yeah. <laughs> that Goddle says, yeah, that will get your attention. Just like hitting that old mule in the head with a two by four. <laughs> so again, uh, Coddle and Ross reminiscing about domestic abuse. <laughs> right, yeah. Ross's, every show now we're getting a snippet into Ross's uh, childhood, which is a scary premise. <laughs> but there, there's really not much to say here. I mean, the... Uh... I, th- I thought Zenk has still got some of the worst fire ever on the hot tag. Um, yeah, Rotunda wasn't a terrible facing power, I didn't think. Um, but uh, it felt like the Samoans were off the pace, even in this five minutes. They were off, like the timing on their spots was off. Um, and now, actually, Nick Patrick didn't help here. He was slow on a couple of his counts there as well. Just everybody seemed a little bit off the pace to me. Um, and then they gave Rotunda the win with the with the inside cradle. Um, yeah. He gets a, a quick cradle, so I don't know if they were trying to make this tag team anything, kind of U.S. Uh, tag titles contenders or what, but uh, they get, they gave a little win here, and the Samoans, I mean, they're done. That's all you can say. Two, two, two and Samoan a qu- Savage, yeah. Yeah, Samoan Savage, terrible. Um, two and a quarter for uh, Patty Cord. Two and a quarter from... Uh, Keith and well, uh, Keller went one and a half there. Yeah, I'm I'm with Keller on this one. I'd probably go about one and a half stars. Yeah, it's about right. So th- th- this is basically the theme of tonight. There's a lot of short matches, um, which does actually make the the card fly by when you're watching it because there's always something different happening, right? It's yeah, like, I mean, there's uh this was a two hour runtime start to finish, and we had how many matches? About nine matches, ten, ten, and then ten, ten matches. matches. Yeah, and then uh, between the El Gigante and a couple other segments, so you have about thirteen segments within the two hours. Good, good uh, card for somebody with a ten- attention deficit disorder. Sure. <laughs> um, there's a hype video for Mean Mark Callis now with Hard Rock. This is a new thing for them. More Hard Rock. Uh, um, a little bit, little bit strange uh, because he's got a match coming up straight away. Um, so it's Mean Mark Callis taking on Flying Brian. Um, yeah, any thoughts on this? I thought uh, Pillman um, got a decent pop from the crowd when he came out and they were pretty behind him here. Yeah, this was a, of uh, course, a really fun match to watch in retrospect, knowing who the uh, two individuals are. Mm. But as far as just a standalone match, this is another one. This, the opener, and then our next match, I think, go uh, 
or no, maybe it's uh, two matches in. I'm pretty sure they go. Um, they go almost at the same amount of time. Right at it's like right around six minutes. And uh, I thought this did for the time it was allotted. Did a a very good job. Pillman was able to get a good bit of offense in. I mean, you kind of hate to see Pillman, I guess, used in this, you know, manner. Yeah. It's sort of, it's sort of, I mean, he's, he's enhancement here to to give, uh, to get Mark Callis, mean Mark over. One thing we should say is Mark is with Polly now. Last yeah. time he was with Teddy Long. That's true. So so Polly's out there. Polly even takes a bump in a pretty cool spot. Uh, and Mark Mark gets the pin when he catches Flying Brian, kind of coming off the ropes and uh, slams him down. Uh, actually, Dick does like the hot shot where he uh, hits him over the uh, his throat, hits the top rope, which given. Pillman's legit throat issues would have been a cool uh, moment, but we didn't get any mention of that. But we, I, he also did a throat first jump onto the railings early on. Yeah, yeah. So we did get a little bit of. Uh, I mean, I guess they were maybe trying to tell a little bit of a story there, but for six minutes, uh, really fun match. Probably could put it on a compilation of. Either one of these guys, you know, and I don't think it'd be a uh, a shame at all to watch. Yeah, I, th- I thought Pillman was great playing a plucky underdog in this match, and uh, his uh, hope spots were fantastic. Both the timing of them and the crowd reaction when he when he when he started them. I actually thought Callis looked pretty good. He controlled things well. His execution was decent on the moves. Um, yes. Yeah. He has not looked. He has not looked that bad. Like he's not looked as bad as I kind of thought he would. My, my thought was that I thought he'd be a lot more green at this point, and he didn't look that green to me in this match. Um, yeah. Yeah. Uh, d- d- a couple of things. Um, Jr. gave Jay Tapper a shout out on commentary. I, I noticed that. <laughs> I thought that was a great. They were they were making fun of Paulie's hair, and I thought that was a great callback to mention Jay Tapper again. <laughs> um. And then, uh, oh, the other thing is that the bell is really quiet tonight. I, th- I actually think that they were slow on the ringing the bell. Um, I don't. I don't actually think they rang it here. Well, the pinfall is kind of interesting because Pillman kicks out. I mean, right at three, um, he he kind of lifts his leg and sort of kicks out, and he's you know he's up to his feet almost at the same time as Mean Mark is, or at least kind of crouched over. Uh, so I don't know if the, uh, timekeeper got confused or something, but uh, it's kind of a different finish. I mean, it makes Pillman look resilient that he just barely got beat, but, uh, sort of odd looking to. If you were Ole Anderson watching this match, you'd have to think, do not de-emphasize Pillman. Push Pillman, surely. I mean, uh, he looks like a star in the making here, so I, I can't really understand that as a booking decision. Um... Sting comes out now and pops the crowd. Uh, he's still injured, of course, uh, but he's on the recovery run, right, Chad? He's he's on his way back. Yeah, yeah. Well, this is about a month before the Great American Bash, which is where he makes his uh, triumphant return. And we get a little insert promo now from the Rock and Roll Express, who are wearing t- <laughs> who are wearing T-shirts with themselves on the front. Yeah, and a train. 
coming behind the background. Uh, I, I guess we should mention that too. One thing they they really tried to kind of have like a Saturday night's main event type feel to this event. Yeah, where you would have these kind of short promos or graphics of the uh, of the wrestlers, and then they would come out. Yeah, and then um, yeah, they had a lot of them on this show. Like every match had at least at least something like that um, right. going into it. Um, so yeah, yeah, again now, rock and rolls versus midnights, but in a unusual setting where they're only given well about ten minutes here. Yeah, and this is... Uh, oh, oh sh- should we mention the star rating, sorry? Um, oh, yeah. T- two, two and a half from Keith for Pillman uh, Callis. Um, two and a half from Petty Cord. And uh, Keller went two and three quarters on that. Yeah, I mean, this, this, uh, that last match I thought was kind of flirting with three stars. I mean, it's, it's so tough because, again, it was only five and a half minutes, but... Uh, but for the time allotted, they did a lot. Yeah, no, I agree. I'm, I'm closer to uh, Keller there. So, yeah, sorry, uh, Rock and Roll is at midnight. Uh, this is an interesting match because um, they they went out. There's a little backstory here where they went out and tried to not replicate any signature spots that these two teams uh, have done in their previous, you know, hundred matches or so. Mm. So they basically tried to create a new match. Um, and, and because of that, I think this match was kind of disappointing. It's probably of all the uh, midnight express 1990 stuff. This is probably uh, one of the lesser performances of them, you know, still, still a good match. I would say, I don't think these guys can really have a, uh, a, a bad match together, but there was a lot more uh, awkwardness and kind of missed time stuff than what you would typically expect uh, from these two teams. With the time allotted, they weren't able to give, you know, a super long kind of uh, face and peril segment that you uh, might expect also from these two teams. Ricky Morton was only in peril for a relatively short period of time. And then the, uh, the, the finish was kind of a, a weird one too, where, uh, where, where Morton gets kind of throat first into the guardrail in a good spot. But then, um, but then he's able to come back in and they have all four kind of going at each other and Gibson's, able to have the pinfall on uh, on on uh, actually Bobby Eaton which was kind of surprising after they did a uh, a double backdrop and uh, a couple other double team moves but then uh Stan Lane just that uh, stops the count of Nick Patrick of course Nick Patrick was referee in this and uh, that's the end of the match which is a pretty uh pretty shoddy ending there yeah, they they, uh, they they mention um, on uh, commentary that uh, Lane was um, uh, Coddle mentions that uh, Stan Lane was trained by Ric Flair, um, which was which was interesting. Um, I thought well, I don't mid- know I don't know how much I mean I know Flair discovered him, but I don't know necessarily how much he trained him yeah that seemed odd to me because he'd have to be 
doing that while working full time as the world champ, basically, wouldn't he? Yeah, I and, mean, uh, I mean, I can also not see any of not nothing of Ric Flair in the way that Lane works. <laughs> yeah. Um, yeah, this was interesting because the Midnight's worked from the bottom. Basically, they they worked from underneath most for most of this match. Um, and the person on top, unfortunately for most of it, was uh, was Gibson, who's not the most dynamic person when he's on offense, in my view. So, um, yeah, there wasn't a lot to talk about here. This is one of the more un- uninspired uh, matchups from these two. Um, the, and the finish, I thought, was really cheap. I, I wasn't, like, I thought it can only be disappointing, um, especially when we've seen so many variations of these two at this point. Um, yeah. Keith uh, gave it two and three quarters. Um, Pedicord also gave it two and three quarters. And Keller went with that match up two and three quarters. Consensus hmm. from from the three of them. Uh, that's a bit high in my mind. Ooh. Oh really? Yeah. I, I was going to say that was a bit low. I mean, I. I... I still think it was a good match. I mean, I have no problem giving it three stars. When I, uh, I mean, let me actually see when I watched this, uh, when I was going through the 1990 footage, what I saw. But, okay, give your thoughts on why you think that's a a tad high. Well, I'll look that up. Well, I I just thought there were stretches of this match where not a lot was going on. Um, You know, it took a long time for the Midnights to get going. And by the time they did get going, the match was over. So it was like, you know, if they knew they were going out for 11 minutes, they didn't tell a very neat story in that 11 minutes. It just felt like there was a Gibson shine for about the first half. And then, I mean, we got a couple of cool things from Eaton, I guess, and a couple of kicks from Lane. But, yeah, I didn't, um, I just thought that we've seen so much better stuff from these that this was very disappointing. Yeah, now I know, uh, I know Charles said they were uh, disappointed this match. That's actually a lot lower uh, the first time I watched it. Only gave it two and a quarter. Right. Uh, on, on this rewatch, I, th- I mean, I think I would go three stars. I, I guess the, the awkward spots on my first watch really kind of affected me because you just you just don't expect that from these two teams at all. Yeah. Um, and then on this time, I you know I knew of course that this wasn't one of their standout matches, so I knew it was coming, and uh, I sort of knew what to expect and liked it a good deal more. But yeah, I mean, with these two teams, you would think you know they would have uh, one of the you know a really good match almost every time out, and even at uh, even at three stars, it wouldn't have been uh, you know one of the top matches of the year or anything. Right. Okay, well, uh, this is a matchup we haven't seen before. Doug Furness versus Barry Windham. Right. Um, uh, Furness, apparently, 30 world records under his belt at this point. Is that true? <laughs> I have no idea. 30 strongman world records. Um, I might. I haven't got a Guinness Book of World Records here, but I might, <laughs> I might see if I can look it up later. <laughs> um... Yeah, well, I was reasonably interested look, going into this. Wyndham versus, uh, it's an unusual looking line, uh, matchup here. Yeah, this is a, a very unique matchup because uh, one furnace in a singles match seems bizarre. And uh, Wyndham, you know, had just kind of made his return to the company. 
and was deeply involved with the uh, the uh, deal with his father, you know, with the uh, yeah counterfeit money scandal and all that. So he was sort of in and out around this time, but uh, but the the match I thought was okay from Wyndham's standpoint. Furnace I didn't think looked very good at all. I don't know if he was overly excited, got blown up or what, but he was very sloppy on a lot of his offensive moves, and they didn't mm-hmm. kind of come off uh, very well. And this, again, went five minutes and uh, 40 seconds, the same exact time as the Mark versus Flying Brian match, and I like that match a lot better. And uh, one thing when I was talking about the card composition is – as as we get uh, along with this card, there's a theme that involves the horsemen. Mm-hmm. And it kind of gets ruined here because uh, Wyndham, Wyndham wins. <laughs> right. So what what I would have done, uh, which may have affected the Mean Mark match, but I would have put Furnace versus Mark and then had Flying Brian in this match and have Flying Brian get the uh, quick upset. Mm. to kind of kickstart the theme they wanted to do throughout this uh, class show. Also, Furnace's tights, I think, have to be mentioned. They were <laughs> they were extremely small. Uh, <laughs> looked like they were giving him a wedgie the whole time. Uh, his thighs are, you know, huge, but, uh, but, but those tights, it was like uh, 1985 Andre the Giant level of uh, kind of the banana hammock there. I uh, I think I'm a lot higher on this match than you, Chad. Uh, mm. Mainly because I thought Wyndham looked excellent when he was dishing out the moves. Uh, we he, there was an epic clothesline at one point, which sent uh, mm-hmm. Furness 360 over. Uh, really, really nice suplex. And then I actually like the finish: belly to back suplex into a pin with the feet on the ropes. You don't see that finish very often. Um, you know, just just to achieve a pin from the belly to back. Is something you don't see very often, especially at this point. Um, so I, I thought Wyndham looked really, really good here. Um, yeah. Despite some of the problems with the furnace. So I actually thought that this was an exciting look at Wyndham in 1990. And if the match uh, was... This, yeah, this is probably one of the highlights for Wyndham, honestly, in 1990. Really? He doesn't have any much good stuff coming up? I mean, he just he's just not there a lot right. at all. I mean, he he uh, he has a very interesting role in Halloween Havoc that when we get to that show, we'll discuss. And then, uh, I mean, Starcade will be his best match of the year when he's in the street fight versus Doom. But it's, it's just a very weird year of somebody kind of in their still physical peak that just was not around a whole lot not I, I mean i did like the finish from wyndham's standpoint but i thought furnace took a pretty awful bump i don't i don't know furnace just really i had a lot of I, I mean i had some relatively high hopes coming into this match because it's not like the can-ams were uh were chopped liver you know at this point in time either in 1989 they had that great series with footloose so i mean they they had shown they could have you know, four and a half star matches, but, uh, but, uh, this, this didn't do a lot for me. Now, now what's interesting here, Chad, is the ratings. Um, Keith, two stars, uh, Petticord, two and a quarter, but Keller, 
has gone three three stars on that match. Now, I, I, I'm having some issues with Keller's ratings. Like, even objectively, I don't no, understand. It's three and a quarter. Yeah, how can you say that? I mean, I just can't understand how he would say that this match was better than anything from Capital Combat. <laughs> I mean, I mean, this was better than the Doom versus Steiner's tag match, or the Midnight Express tag match, or even the main event. Um, yeah, he's obviously that's obviously not right. Yeah, I can't see that. But uh, I mean, I would I would go about two stars for me. Right, I'm probably a bit higher, two and a half, something like that. Mm-hmm. Um, but yeah, uh, there's no way that's a three and a quarter star match. I mean. Um, all right. Well, next up, and this is this is really the, I mean, if we feel like we're bashing through these, Chad. That's because this is what what this card is look right like. It's quick fire match, 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 isn't it? Yeah. Unfortunately, I mean, I think uh, you know we get a lot of kind of compliments on our analysis of the matches, and I mean this this almost feels like we're reviewing a nitro in a lot of ways where there's just not a lot you can really say about the match when it's, you know, four, five, six minutes. Mm. There's not, there's not, you know, much of a story told. They basically are a, uh, a very quick structure where we generally have some baby face fire for the first minute. He'll takes over and controls for about two to three minutes and then we jump right to the finish so there's not a lot of depth in the matches it's uh like you said a quick watch i i i think that all of these matches would have benefited from going another four minutes say and um maybe like cut some matches i I, I understand trying to get everybody on the roster on the card but uh yeah just cut some matches make some long yeah that samoan swat team match had no business you know, it, it served no purpose. The El Gigante Spanish interpretation <laughs> promo. That's ten minutes right there that could have you could have added three match three minutes to you know, Pillman and uh me Mark and then the last match furnace and Wyndham and the opener and I think the card overall would have been much better for it. Well, speaking of short matches, oh, Sid, Sid Vicious versus Lex Luger now. Um, Sid gives us an insert promo in his tux. He didn't. He, he loved wearing that tux in 1990, didn't he? <laughs> um, he comes to the ring with Ole Anderson, and uh, Lex Luger is sporting a ponytail tonight. He looks like he's right out of 1995 here uh, with this ponytail. Uh, still the US champ, of course, and he goes after Ole immediately. Um, and then... Well, I mean, I might as well say we get a pin in about 20 seconds. Um, yes. We get a closed line. Sid eats a surprise quick pin. Um, the ref barely counts to one, and that's it. <laughs> it's over. Did, yeah, they, did the ref even count to three? I, I don't know, but this was a uh, famous pro wrestling only ref, Mike Atkins, in this match. <laughs> um, <laughs> but, but, yeah, this is, this is very interesting in that Luger gets the... Uh, very quick pinfall. Wait a minute. Oh, I did. I did watch it. I just watched it, and he does count to three. But it is a you talking about a fast count. It was a uh, you know a, a Scott Armstrong situation here with this fast count. It was Dick Worley special. 
Yeah, yeah. So it was a <laughs> extremely fast count he did there, and then Luger hightails it to the back. So a quick, quick payday for him because he was out there maybe two minutes total. Now, but, obviously, uh, everybody's gone dud on this, um, but um, uh, Keith is like, was anybody reading the uh, Observer at this time? What the hell was going on here? Um, and, um, I mean, Keller says that the reason for this is that they were going long on the show, so they needed to cut time somewhere. Um, so they, you know, they were told to go out early. Um, but it seems, like, really quick. I, do, do, do you think Sid even knew about this? Like, I, I, Yeah, if, if they're going along on the show and they want to cut something, this is where I have Sid meet him in the entranceway and they do a pull-apart brawl or, you know, something. I mean, seeing Sid get pinned that quick uh seems very shocking and i mean i mean it does kind of look like it because they they cut right to coddle and ross and coddle doesn't have his bearings together he actually has to get up from the table mm. to shield the great american bash but uh but yeah or did i mean they, they were going for uncle uncle elmer's record you know uncle elmer versus gentleman jamie valiant 10 seconds or did it, um uh what is it bundy versus uh sd jones six seconds right <laughs> but I mean, this wasn't far off that. A part of me wanted to see Luke to see. I was just interested to see what Luke could get out of Sid here in a proper match. Um, and I would like Sid's horrible, but it'd just be interesting to see like how far Luke would come as a worker, see what he could get out of him. Did you have any of that curiosity, or do you think we we were spared something horrible here? <laughs> I don't think this would have been a lost classic. But uh, it would have been interesting to see if Luger was even given like seven or eight minutes. I mean, this, this show just had too much stuff going on. That's all there is to it. They they should have edited some stuff here. So, uh, Doom versus the Steiner Brothers now. Um, and uh, this is for the world uh, tag titles, of course. Going in, Bob Coddle, who's on pretty good form this evening. Um, he quotes Butch Reed. Apparently, Butch Reed said to him before this match, "My body's a brick house, and I just keep adding bricks," <laughs> <laughs> which I thought was quite fun. Um, so I'm very fond of this matchup, as as you know, Chad. But what did you think? Yeah, I like the uh, Capital Combat match a good bit, and uh, I hate to say it, but I may be becoming a Steiner Brothers fan. <laughs> <laughs> this uh, I, I do think this stretch is probably their best stretch as a tag team, uh, knowing what matches they have kind of coming up. Uh, but I but I really like this match a lot. Had some power, great power moves. Scotty doing that kind of fall away power slam. Yeah, I don't, what they did were, they even call that? They, they, they call them reverse slams. Yeah, they the hit reverse them right. slam. That, how cool is that move? Yeah, that was a... Uh, and he did it to both of them, which Doom is, uh, you know, not small guys by any stretch of the imagination. So that was a really cool move. Actually, this is probably, I think, the best Scott has looked, uh, yeah. period, for me. And and Rick was good, and then Doom took over and did their control segment. And they, they looked, you know, really good and powerful and continued to improve and Rick was able to do a pretty decent face and perils uh, sequence for himself. And we got a pretty hot finish with, uh, you know, for this this type of match, I thought the finish was fine where you get one of those kind of double pin type deals mm. where, 
where you have uh, one member of of Doom is getting pinned by uh, by uh, it was Rick Steiner, but then uh, Scott's getting pinned at the same time. Yeah, this and... is this is quite a complicated thing. I've I've written it down. We got a superplex by Scott on Ron Simmons. Mm-hmm. Then Butch Reed had a foreign object. We don't know where it was. And international. Uh, what was it? <laughs> international foreign object. International foreign object. Yeah, wherever that was. Yeah. Um, he nailed Scott with it. Right. Uh, Rick came in, and then I think he got the object and nailed Reed with it. Rick pinned Reed. Um, Simmons was able to pin Scott. Um, and then there was a question over who was legal. But obviously, Scott Steiner or Ron Simmons were the two legal men to do one. Right. Uh, so, per, so pretty complicated finish, but I think it's one that works. I mean, it makes both teams look fine, but it makes you know Doom look good. Uh, they did use a foreign object, but in 1990, that's still pretty uh, tame, you know, hill tactics to retain the titles. Yeah, I thought Doom looked really good dishing out the clotheslines. Like, oh, yeah. they look really cool. Like because they've got the big arms and, uh, you know, the Steiner, the, you know, they're not bad at selling it by any means. Um, and then did you see that Butch Reed busted out a butterfly suplex at one point? Yes, that was very, I mean, there was just some offense in this match that you wouldn't expect. And this, this is when, I mean, to me, this is Doom now has a couple of good performances under their belt and they're really cranking. You know now, and I, I don't. I really don't think they let up the rest of the year. Swinging net breaker from Reed. We had the. Um, uh, there was a moment where he gave uh, Steiner a Rick Steiner a clothesline, and then he did the 360. Uh, you know, 360 bump off it. So this was a really fun match. I thought. Yeah, we had a superplex too. Um, yeah. I mean, lots of lots of high spots and things, but like with two big power guys like that, like two big power teams like this it really works well like visually and gives me a good feeling i like watching these matches um scott keith uh gave it three and a quarter uh petty cord uh gave it three and a half but he disagrees with you chad he really thought the finish was lame didn't like the finish at all hmm. um and then keller um Keller went three and a half on this match. So that's, for him, you know, that's almost a full star ahead of where he had the Capital Combat match. I mean, I see them both kind of as equals. I don't know. Which one do you prefer? Um, I thought this was just as good, to be honest. Um, yeah. I really enjoyed it. Um, yeah, no, I thought this was just as good. I... Um, I've got them about the same, and I'm I'm higher than all of those guys on both of these matches. Um, it's kind of in my wheelhouse, I guess. <laughs> <laughs> these the, the this particular matchup, Steiners versus Doom, is, um, you know, I just think it's for a ten minute match. I don't know what more you could want. Yeah, this it'll be interesting um, as we go through the year whether you think these are the best Doom matches on the year. Because uh, their matches coming up are all sort of different from this. Mm. Um, I, I like uh, probably a couple of them, maybe slightly better. But I think they're all close. But again, they're all really different. And I can see you thinking that uh, these are probably the two best. Yeah, because we haven't got the... Because um, Butch Reed, he likes the chin lock. 
Well, he didn't like he wasn't doing any of his chin locks in these in these matches. <laughs> right, right. Um, we get a promo now. Oh yeah, where would you? So, are you star rating wise? Are you who are you with there? Um, I mean, I don't think it was four stars. Uh, this is probably in my dreaded uh, three and three quarters range that I know you love so much. <laughs> All right. Um, so uh, this, this uh, just real quick, this match. I mean, this uh, this was a match that was cut from uh, some of the 1990 footage I was watching, and this is a match I think uh, if you watch a lot of 1990 stuff, you definitely should seek out. What the Doom Steiners match? Yes. Yeah, yeah, yeah. No, absolutely. In fact, I wouldn't mind seeing like a like a best of doom comp type of thing with all of their squash matches. In, I bet their squash matches were awesome. <laughs> <laughs> um, anyway, um, Tony Schiavone is with uh, Junkyard Dog now, who says some stuff. Um, the only thing I really that stood out to me is that he said, "Don't think I'm going to come like a cabbage, all head and no rear." <laughs> Um, so there we are. Uh, yeah. Uh, Arn Anderson now. This is another interesting matchup. Arn Anderson yes. versus Paul Orndorff. We get an insert promo from Orndorff. Um, and something tells me that these insert promos were rushed because he tells Arn to shut up or put up, which, uh, is tip is actually the wrong, like it's usually put up or shut up. Yeah. yeah. So they didn't retake it or anything. <laughs> They just say, "Oh, that'll do. Let's uh, let's let's roll with it." That may be giving WCW a little bit of benefit of the doubt. So. Benefit? Why you you don't think anybody realized it was the? the wrong way I mean, there's <laughs> been some, uh, you know, some um, of the production gaps in this company. Uh, the the other thing I wanted to ask you about, Chad, is what do you think of this horses running for horseman video they kept on playing <laughs> during this show? This is kind of a theme they decided they had to have throughout most of the 90s, even with the uh, Mongo version of the Horseman with kind of the the actual horses kind of stampeding. Uh, I mean, I don't know. I, I don't know what to say. I, I don't think it's awful, but I can totally see how it's cheesy, for sure. Right, I mean, well, the, the idea with the Horseman is that they're not actual horses, right? <laughs> they're not men who like they're meant yeah to they're, they're not like of... a rancher yeah <laughs> right. no. okay uh arn is still the tv champion which is easy to forget um uh but the title is not on the line so any thought i thought this was interesting to see these two lock up in 1990 yeah and um i i'm interested to hear your thoughts because i don't i don't think the well, the crowd was kind of interesting for this match because they at one point got behind Arn and uh, were not too, I guess, into the match overall. Mm. But but I, re- I really liked the match overall, the work in it. I thought it was well done. And I thought uh, I, I kind of like Orndorff as a little bit of a face with his fire. It's, it's, it's one of those matches where I do think based on how you kind of view crowd interaction in a match can really affect it. But Arn, you know, Arn had been injured for a lot of the years, so this was kind of one of his more uh, signature matches that we've seen him in since the Anderson's tag at Wrestle War. 
And, uh, you know, he did a lot of arm stuff, like raking the face and hanging onto the ropes and the abdominal stretch, you know, stereotypical arm moves. But, uh, but it was, it was fun to watch. And I thought the finish with, uh, Orndorff reversing the small package, which Arn should have just went for the DDT. I don't know why he did, but he didn't. And uh, Arn gets him in a small package, but Orndorff is able to reverse it. And Orndorff had that thing on really tightly looking and uh, was able to pick up the upset victory, which again makes me wish that that the... uh, that Wyndham would have gotten beat by somebody, preferably Pillman, so you'd have had the Horseman 0-2 going into the main event. But I, I like this match. Yeah, I I also liked it um, a good bit. I just thought it was just good, solid action, right? Um, yeah. Some of our, were, Arn's work on top was a little bit slow, I thought. Everything he did was solid. Maybe he was a bit ponderous in between his moves and things. But then Arn has always been kind of methodical, but he seemed a little bit slow. Um, I also wondered if um, they blew up at one point, these two, because they were dripping with sweat. Yeah, they were. I don't, I don't know if there was quite as much focus, I guess, with Arn's attack as you typically see. You know, I mean, he, he there was. I mean, there was times where he'd go to the midsection. There was times where he'd ram the head. He'd rake the eyes. There wasn't much of, I guess, a focused attack. Is Which this the first time we've seen Orndorff in a while, Chad? Uh, ever, even? Um, I wouldn't say ever, but probably the best. Um, and, uh, I, I said, is, the, in a good while. is this the first? Is this the first time that we've seen him on our shows? Yes. Um, and we'll actually see him a good bit coming up, which is kind of strange to think about. Any general thoughts on Orndorff, like in general? Given this um, he's a guy that uh, when I got into wrestling was kind of. Uh, you know, he was before my time when I started watching in 1990. I wasn't watching WCW in 1990. So, really, my first experience with him was kind of in the pretty wonderful tag team, mm. uh, that type of era. And then even, you know, even the older I got, he's kind of, I think, a forgotten era because, I mean, everybody knows he did great business with Hogan in eighty you know, 86 or whatever. Yeah. But I, but I do feel like that's sort of a forgotten error of, uh, of watching in some ways, because I feel like most people, if they do think about the nostalgic kind of rock and wrestling days, uh, either think about the Piper stuff or, uh, kind of fast forward all the way to the mega powers and then the mega powers exploding. So they, they sort of bypass or Hogan Andre even, I think you're right about that. You're definitely right. Yeah, they kind of bypassed this feud that was very integral. Yeah, I I actually think that Orndorff's quite an intense worker and he's not credited enough for being, um, you know, he always works, like he always seems like he's motivated to me. Um, And even in this match, I felt like when he was laying the stomps in and things, he, you know, he feels like he's giving effort. Um... Yeah, so I'm interested to see uh, how his run develops here. Um, of course, he was coming back off for quite a big injury at this point. Didn't he yeah. like, almost lose his arm or something? Well, well, he has uh, nerve damage in one arm where it's uh, visibly smaller. I mean, it would get, when he was in the pretty wonderful, it's really uh, visible that one hand is smaller and one arm smaller than the other one, but... Uh, yeah. But yeah. So that's where he's kind of coming back from here. 
Yeah, I, uh, um, I'm a little bit surprised at the uh, at the critics here. They're pretty don't like Scott Keith hated this match. Right. He, he calls it a major yawner. Gives it uh, one and a half stars, and uh, like I don't know when he wrote this review, but he keeps on going on about Triple H doing it. Um, he says that the main event uh, Spine Buster has been ruined for him by Triple H, so he can't enjoy it anymore. Um, and then he's, I don't know if he's being sarcastic, but he says, these guys need to learn how to work. They're too small. They can't work WWE main event style. Am I missing anything? Um, so I don't know, like if he's using this whole review to make a point about whatever WWE was doing at the time, just looking at the date, he wrote it in 2002. So, <laughs> um, possibly, uh, but yeah, he didn't enjoy this match at all. Um, then Petty two stars. Uh, he reckons that Orndorff isn't that interesting as a face. And Keller also, I think, was two stars on this. Didn't enjoy the match. Hmm. Yeah, I'd go uh, probably three stars. Yeah, I, I don't see anything wrong with this. I thought Orndorff was per- perfectly fine as a face. Yeah, I, th- I think it may just be the... I don't know if there was like a uh, a very... People were, I guess apprehensive about Orndorff coming in. But I mean to me he doesn't feel like a washed up, you know, guy at this point. I mean no, it's only looks, four years removed from that huge run, so he looks fine, right? I mean yeah. I am guessing he's what, like mid thirties at this point if I had to guess, like thirty five. Probably, yeah. No, this was good to see like two season pros have a decent ten, fifteen minute match here. Mm-hmm. Um it could have been better, though. I think we'd both agree that, like, um, if Arm Arm wasn't on on here, I don't think. Yeah, yeah. This is not like best on. Right. Um. So it's been a pretty bad night for the Horseman because uh, Orndorff got a slightly, I'd say, it's probably a surprise win with the uh, uh, over on in that match. Would you agree? Yeah. Oh yeah. Yeah. They definitely wanted to present it as kind of an upset win. Um. So it's a bad night for the Horseman uh, with Sid also getting pinned. Um, Ole cuts a promo, and then Flair um, is pretty irate. He says, nine years, one man has sat atop the mountain. I thought that was quite a good line. And then he says, uh, Arn Anderson just gave Paul Orndorff the wrestling lesson of his life. <laughs> um, but the ref didn't see it that way. <laughs> um, which I thought was a good way of uh, kind of giving Arn a bit of heat back right after that loss. Um and uh, so that's it. We're right into the main event now um, with Junkyard Dog taking on Ric Flair. <laughs> JYD um, has a kind of New Orleans band with him uh, dancing down the street or something. Right, Chad? <laughs> yeah, this was really odd because I, when you see this, you think it's like a live entrance. But in the uh, video, JYD's wearing white pants and then he comes out in red and comes well, running out to the ring which was chad it's obvious do you remember that new orleans show that we watched a while back uh, i get yeah i guess this was clips from that it was yeah almost certainly it was a clip from that because he was wearing those white pants then <laughs> um so yeah they were using like old jyd footage here for some bizarre reason um but he seems to have his game face on for this. He really seemed like he was concentrating on winning the big one here. <laughs> uh, and then just before the match started, what the hell was that artwork of Flair with the title that they put up? Yeah, Flair looked uh, extremely chiseled in that. Uh, I don't, I don't, it almost looked like a clay model 
It was terrible. <laughs> it was very weird. <laughs> uh, and they like play the old Clash music with it, and oh, it was really odd. Um, so, right, what can we? Um, <laughs> oh, the only other thing I'll say going into this: Coddle on commentary. <laughs> Jim Ross says um, that uh, JYD is uh, by no means a vegetarian. He he, he eats red meat. <laughs> then Coddle says, "Yeah, well, I've seen him put a few." Uh, chickens away in his time too, Jim. Oh, <laughs> I mean chickens, plural. <laughs> <laughs> so, uh, uh, was, was that a little, um, you know, this guy can put away the KFC, basically, yeah, with the best of them? Alright, what do you think of this? Well, this is a uh, a match that's <laughs> kind of famous by how much it's lamented over time. Um, it <sighs> I mean, I guess this would have been a, uh, a a huge match, quite frankly, probably six years, if it happened six years ago. Now, you know, JYD is, is done. It, it only goes about seven minutes. JYD's blown up in it. But I thought, I thought Flair was really working hard in this match. Mm. And as limited as JYD is... Uh, he, I mean, he was okay. He was certainly out of shape and was sucking wind. You could see, you know, his uh, his very rapid breathing throughout the match. But uh, Chad, there's but, a moment. There's a moment in the match where JYD's hanging over the top rope, and you can see his massive gut hanging down. Did you see? That? Yeah, yeah. I mean, he just uh, it was tough not to notice how much he was breathing. But Flair, you know, was bumping and kind of flying all over the place, doing one of his, I guess, wild flare performances to make it seem like a uh, more more action that was getting in. But then the finish, the finish is pretty terrible, where JYD is, has Flair and was pounding on him, and then Ole just comes in and gives the stomping to him, and then uh, you have the dudes with attitudes that kind of chase him around. So we get a big schmoz donny brook finish but uh this i don't think made flair look very good going into the great american bash match at all um i kind of felt a bit i mean my note here is that flair was basically wrestling himself in this match it's like he was literally wrestling himself he was throwing himself around the ring making it seem like there was movement going on because jyd was giving him nothing um and uh the the Moments I really f- uh, felt for, for Flair was when JYD was meant to be making a comeback or a hope spot or something, and he'd just stand there. And all Flair could do was beg off in those yeah. moments. Like, yeah. And he went to that about seven or eight times. It's like Flair couldn't think of anything else to do but beg off because JYD was just so slow to react or do anything. Um, it's not like, yeah, this was bad. I, like, I thought that... Um, JYD, I mean, he was limited in 1983, right? Um, oh, yeah. But I always thought that Bill Watts was expert at booking around him. But by this point, JYD can't even do really, really basic stuff when he's meant to. Like, his timing is appalling, you know? Um, it's I don't know why he was doing a lot of the time. And it's even the crowd was with him, you know? It's not like the crowd weren't there. The crowd was cheering for JYD during right. this match. Sure. But he just stand there and look left and right and you know do a punch do something <laughs> yeah even at the uh even at the end of the brawl there's a funny moment where like jyd standing in the corner 
And like Barry Windham literally has to almost run over and basically hit himself and take a bump, uh, you know, for him to be kind of interspersed into the brawl because JYD wouldn't even like walk over to punch him. It was, I don't know. What's wrong with the guy? I mean, like, <laughs> you know, it doesn't take, like, you don't need cardiovascular training to throw one punch, right? <laughs> what's, wrong, what's wrong with him? <laughs> um, I, uh, because of all of this, when the four horsemen ran in and started decking him, I was just like, yes. <laughs> I can watch the horsemen deliver a beatdown all day. <laughs> so I was, uh, I was enjoying to see, uh, enjoying that. And then the, uh, Faces, you know, Sting, Luger, Rondorf all came came down. Um, I still don't understand this dude, dudes with attitudes thing. Sting, Luger, Orndorff, and JYD, they're the dudes? Or is it just any face at this point? It was, it was mainly them. Luger was kind of... Luger wasn't even, like, really fully... I mean, they never really... It, 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 as you'll see, like, the next show is pretty much it for them. And so it's not like it's a very long, drawn-out deal. But uh, but it was mainly kind of Sting, JYD, Orndorff, and then Gigante hanging around, Luger every once in a while, and then Rocky King. It was a very... Uh, Rock, Rocky, a, Rocky a King was a dude fun. with attitude? <laughs> was he? I don't think they ever necessarily specified the specific members. Like I said, this is like a two-month at most uh run so it's it's this is not one of your uh most remembered factions in wrestling history by any means worst faction of all time (laughs) (laughs) um rocky rocky king is here now um and this is just surreal like 1990 you know mid 80s j i mean this is like bringing i don't know italian stallion back or something and putting him in a prominent uh in a prominent spot on the card um He's uh he's tired of seeing the horseman run in, and uh, Sting also wants his chance now, um, and he's demanding yeah. a world title match at, at the Baltimore Great American Bash show. Which, uh, if I was JYD, I'd be pissed off. I mean, I mean JYD had Flair, you know, begging off, full mount, pounding on him. <laughs> uh, yeah, that's true. That's true. Yeah, won by DQ, and here's Sting two minutes later demanding that now it's his turn to get a shot at the title. Right, well, uh, as you can imagine, the ratings for this are very low, this match. Um, they are, uh, I think everybody went one half a star or less with this match. Um, can you give it like quarter of a star from Keller, uh, Dud from Keith, and half a star from Petty Cord. And uh, Scott Keith says, just brutal, dud, probably the worst uh, flare rating I've ever given, and this is the guy who carried Al Giante to a three-star match. Well, I'd like to see that. <laughs> I don't know if I've seen footage of that, but... Uh, <laughs> um, I mean, this was a good flare performance. Yeah, I thought... I, I didn't think it was all, like... JYD was awful, but flare... I mean, wasn't as a this is a free TV show as a match uh, a seven minute match I don't think I mean I, you know the finish was bad but and didn't really do any favors to set up Sting I mean the I I guess it's weird we should, I mean the very last thing when Sting does call out you get the <laughs> this is one of actually my favorite spots in the whole show you have uh 
Sting calling, um, you know, Flair and and uh, the Horsemen out, and and El Gigante is standing right on the ramp. <laughs> uh, you know, hypothetically, I guess as protection to keep the uh, to keep the Horsemen away. But then, you know, lo and behold, what happens? But Arn Anderson runs out, runs right past him without him doing anything, but blink an eye. Flair runs right past him, and he still doesn't do anything but just stand on top of the ramp, and then, uh, and then, and then you get a pull apart brawl. You know, kind of Sting shows his knees in decent shape as the credits roll. But I mean, what what was El Gigante's purpose out there? He's standing in the entranceway to prevent the Horsemen from ambushing Sting, and he lets two guys run right past him, doesn't even reach for him or nothing. It's it's absolutely ludicrous. Yeah, yeah. Um, I never. I, Al Giante is a guy I don't understand. Because um, again, you t- like, how much training do you need to 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 think? <laughs> right. How much training do you need to like to try to get in somebody's way? You know, it's like what the hell. Watch <laughs> uh, it again. <laughs> The absolute visual of R just absolutely just bulldozing right past him and getting in the ring, and then Flair immediately coming right past him, and he, I mean, he he acts like he doesn't even know where he's at or what he's watching. Joe, um, when he when he played basketball, was he a defender? Was he a defensive uh, player? <laughs> no, I don't. I don't even think he. Uh, I mean, I, I haven't watched any basketball footage you're talking about like 1988 when i was two years old but <laughs> he, he wasn't the team for very long i mean that's why he went into wrestling because uh you know ted turner owned the hawks then and he <laughs> he paid so much for his contract that he wanted to kind of shift him into being a wrestler once it didn't pan out in basketball it's a, he might be the guy with like the least amount of tactile awareness I've ever seen of like anybody. Like yeah. you know, t- uh, what do you call it? Uh, spatial spatial awareness. <laughs> yeah, he just has uh, looks like he doesn't know where he's at. I mean, even at the very end, as the credits roll, Sting gives uh, Flair a suplex, and uh, Gigante. You can see him kind of in the right hand portion of your screen. He's he's just wandering around, walking around <laughs> on the entranceway. <laughs> It's really amusing. Yeah, he didn't. He doesn't get a particularly great pop either. Like it's weird. Like Andre would come out, and just the visual of seeing Andre would pop a crowd. And Big Show kind of had that as well. But for some reason, El Gigante doesn't. Even though he's seven foot tall, he doesn't pop a crowd. It's weird, isn't it? Yeah, I, I, I don't know though. To me, actually, he got a better reaction than I kind of thought he would. I mean, in yeah, retrospect, like, like some people were cheering, but it's not like he. It's not like um, the, those moments where you see Andre come out and right. everybody goes crazy, or even like the first moments where you see the giant uh, in WCW, where, or even like uh, we've seen with Sid. Right, Sid was a was a heel and in a tag team, but he was still getting a big reaction because. You know, the dude has got, um, you know, a, a presence. Um, sure. El Gigante, seven foot tall, doesn't have a presence. I don't understand yeah. how that can happen. <laughs> yeah. So, there we are. Um, shall we do our uh, end of match awards, uh, Chad? Yeah. So, uh, match of the night. I'm going with uh, Doom versus the Steiner Brothers. Yeah, it's the only... 
it's the only the only other match I'd even put close to it is the Anderson Orndorff one, and I I have to go with uh, Doomsteiners. Uh, MVP. Uh, my MVP. Uh, I'm kind of contemplating doing something. I I'm I'm gonna go with Scott Steiner for my MVP. He's a guy I uh, don't like a ton, and uh, thought. Uh, actually, he looked really good here, and I mean, you can kind of see with the way he was in that tag match why they uh, wanted to give him a little bit of a, a singles push early the next year, even though that didn't pan out. You you sort of see a lot of potential there with the way he acted in this match. It, it pained you to give that to Scott Stein, didn't it? Didn't it, Chad? It did. <laughs> Uh, I'm going to give it to Brian Pillman. I thought he was very good in that match. Um, uh, yeah, uh, considering what they asked him to do, he couldn't have done it any better, I don't think. Mm-hmm. Um, and then, well, Billy Graham Awards. It's a no-brainer for me. But... Uh, uh, well, I, I actually think there's a couple of uh, choices here. Um, I, I, I think JYD is who you have to go with. <laughs> but... Uh, but... Uh, I, I contemplated definitely El Gigante just because of what we discussed. And then I uh, also actually contemplated Doug Furness because, again, he was a guy that had had some really great matches up to this point and was mm. just uh, very off. So so one thing I actually thought about doing, and I know you would uh, lament me if I would have, was give Flair the MVP and JYD the LVP. Because <laughs> I really think if you'd have put anybody else with flair that was you know actually competent that could have been a really you know fun match for seven minutes or whatever because he was really working uh as hard as he could it was still a bit flair by numbers like he was going back to his old staples though um like even though he was busting his ass off it was still standard flare spots he was doing it through typical you know turnbuckle bag off uh, yeah, it was a lot of lot of motion to convey action. But yeah, I enjoyed it. it. I I mean I understand the thinking, but I think that's one uh, that's one match where like people talk about a broomstick, right? JYD is possibly worse than an actual broomstick because <laughs> at least a broomstick can fall over. <laughs> um, all right. Well, well what, what are, are you giving? Are you giving JYD? Oh yeah, it's a dead yeah, serve. Probably the worst performance we've seen by anybody since. Oh, I don't. I don't know about since that. since Billy Graham, since Kung Fu know. Graham, in my Some view. Of those five performances, I would actually. Uh, th- those were like legit dangerous, so <laughs> <laughs> I'd put those ahead. But it certainly was not good. Um. So what are we what are we watching next time, Chad? Uh, next time out, we have the Great American Bash 1990, which is a uh, extremely interesting show. Probably, maybe one of the uh, most interesting shows we do. Actually, uh, of course, has the Flair Sting match on top, mm. the old uh, passing of the torch match. But then on the undercard is some really unique stuff. Has the Southern Boys versus Midnight Express tag match, which has a, a ton of hype. And uh, also has a Doom versus Rock and Roll Express match, which I think is very interesting. Sounds and, uh, fun. And then you also have uh, kind of some unique stuff like Harley Race versus Tommy Rich. 
wow. in a, a Legends kind of style match and uh, some other fun stuff. So we'll be joined by uh, Derek Cornette for that show. He'll be making his Where the Big Boys Play debut. And I, I look forward to watching that show as a whole. Uh, mm. I think the, the, this, the uh, Great American Bash and uh, especially Halloween Havoc, I think, are both... Uh, Really interesting shows to look at. 1990 overall in WCW, I think, is an interesting year with the good and the bad. Yeah, I mean, I like seeing the unusual matchups, you know, Arn versus Orndorff or Bam Bam versus uh, Tommy Rich. I mean, they're, they're weird matchups, right? And I and it, we've got quite a few of those coming up. Like, uh, even some of the Hanson stuff is still a curiosity for me, you know? Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. Hanson yeah. versus Luger. I mean, even this show, I don't know, like, I don't think I could call this show a bad show. Because by <clears throat> my estimation, there was uh, three three-star matches, mm. you know, just within a two-hour time period. And then you also had the pillman me mark match, which I liked a good bit. So I couldn't call this a bad show in ring-wise, uh, but the booking is suspect. So that's kind of it, the main theme. Too much too much stuff for the time allotted, basically, for this right. uh, show. And um, I, I will say, though, it's a very easy two-hour watch. Very, very... It flies by. Felt like one hour to me. And, and another thing I'll say is... Uh, I, I know I kind of hinted on this show. I actually had more importance than I remembered... But I, I really feel after this, the clashes feel kind of a little bit less important. Uh, maybe Clash 12, maybe not as bad, but especially like Clash 13, if you look at that card, mm. uh, it really feels like there's not a ton going on. Right, well, uh, I look forward to uh, talking to you next time. Gordon Sody Roundup will be happening, <laughs> I swear. Um and uh, maybe we'll have a look at some uh, uh, listener feedback. We did have an idea, Chad, didn't we, about uh, asking the listeners a question. Should we, should we have a go? I'll, I'll try to come up with a question on the spur of the moment. One thing we thought, I mean, we have tried to read out listener comments, and we do love getting comments, don't we, Chad? Yes, yes. Um, it's but, very fun to read, but not as great to read on air. <laughs> we, we always think that it always comes across as like a bit dull to read out like full comments on air and things. Um, but my thought is, uh, can anybody remember a performance worse than JYD in this match? How is that for a comment? Uh, if you can remember a performance worse than JYD uh, against Flair here, uh, Maybe let, in a main event. In, in a, a main, main event. event. In a, ma- a main event performance worse than this. Yeah. Uh, that would be uh, this week's question. Uh, and we'll do that. A question for the listeners. And uh, at the end of next week's show, we'll read out your answers. Yep. Sounds good. All right. Well, uh, look forward to it. See you next time, Chad. All right. See you, Park. Fans, for all of us here at WCW Center Stage, for Cowboy Bill Watts and the American Dream Dusty Rhodes, I'm Jim Ross saying good night, everybody. <laughs>